pretty, pretty, pretty good. That is what I am for another episode of my sick, sick podcast, The West Noise. And the song of the day today is The Argus by Ween. It is the first and possibly last song of the day, but there it is, from the great album Quebec. And my guest today is Greg Fote of Hampshire and Fote. A very nice, very British man. And we got to chat about his new release, The Honey Bear, which is basically a score to a fictional children's book inspired by a painting of a bear. So it's very interesting. There are a lot of field recordings in it, and it's very rhythmic and a very pleasant listen. So yeah, check that out if you get the chance to. I'm I'm really thankful to have gotten to speak to him. Very, very happy about that. And my advice for now is to eat more broccoli, get 10 hours of sleep, and uh, don't waste your time. So yeah, if if you think listening to this will waste your time, then don't do it. But anyways, here's my conversation with Greg Vogt. Or whatever, Glockenspiel. 
we'd be you know sort of drinking tea out there and eating eating the honey from the honey bear. So then we decided we'd record the actual um, the hives. So we got the hive sound and the bees and flying around in the stereo around the garden. And that became a track where Warren came up with these synth lines, which sound like angry bees. Um, so it's all very sort of um, sound tricky, sort of picture, you know, sort of painting a picture. Um, we recorded on the cliffs and on the beaches. We got fly and fly and eyes. Just Warren playing picking guitar with his fly landing on the microphone. Wow. Uh, you know, yeah, and you got the waves in the background. <laughs> it's it's just, it was an idyllic summer last year. And we captured it on this album. Um, so th- then we have, you know, like, uh, I think Storm Clouds, which is, the, you hear the, the pizzicato strings or the raindrops of the water, the clouds, you know, the, the, the storm in the distance, and it's kind of it's coming closer. You know, you get that sort of the first hint of it with a few raindrops. Well, that's like the little ping, plonky noises all through <laughs> the, the track. Um, we've got the crow on the back cover is supposed to represent an instrument and that instrument is the oboe and he comes in as like the voice of reason throughout the the, the um throughout the the, the the album and you know it's a recurring character that comes back to sort of mm-hmm. compliment you know um talk to the to honey bear you know comment on on the on the narrative uh, and similarly we thought that the flute could be like a dove also in you know but some other bird flying around in the in the this is all basically the, the lifestyle that I've been living wow. last year. <laughs> Just loads of country walks. I, I went from being, you know, in Miami, playing hotel bars, to then Edinburgh to record um, uh, galaxies like grains of sand right, with right. Warren, and then we went down to the island where we're both from. And he has a, a cottage, fisherman's cottage, and I was staying at my friend's place. We had this lovely walled garden. So we were growing vegetables, you know, and um, lots of cooking and beach walks and walking dogs. And it was just a really idyllic summer. So, um, yeah, that's that's reflected in, the, in that album, basically. <laughs> it all sounds so surreal. Like, it sounds like you made that up, like everything. Like, it sounds like you made up the story of how you made the album. <laughs> oh, it is the truth. It just, and, it know, all sounds so perfect. It, you know, it's an, it's a, it's an idolized uh, picture, and that's what we painted in the album. Obviously, there was days where you know it was pouring down with rain, and you're stuck inside, right? Um, you know, for days on end, bored. But you know, there's also beauty to being that solitude in the countryside. And um, yeah, we've also recorded another album, which is coming out um, hopefully this year. Oh, great! Uh, in, in one of the local churches, um, which Ooh. is literally a stone's throw from my my house. Yeah, so that's that was just done on uh, a, a one inch, no, sorry, quarter inch uh, Nagra two track, which is what they used to use for the dialogue on Star Wars, and uh, hmm. I think Kubrick had one on a lot of his movies, and it's got this incredible sound. So we just recorded it at the back of the church, and um, you can just hear all the instruments because everyone's playing so quietly. The acoustics of the church just carry it, and you hear the birds tweeting on the on the trees outside also at the end of the take and stuff and the church bell going and it's it, yeah it was a really productive year last that sounds year. amazing yeah so, so i look forward to yeah you hear that one as well <laughs> yeah i i'm i'm very excited now how do you right. does it just come naturally like do you just feel this connection with like using not a studio as a studio like do you just naturally 
think that everything should be used for sound or like do you sit down and think like what would be a cool concept i've started to really get into uh field recordings um the past few years and realize that ambient sounds really i really love ambient sounds ever since um ever since basically the playboy club where we were forced to make uh something out of the ambience because we we had we weren't in a studio where it was sterile and quiet we were in a club where there was people drinking and laughing mm-hmm. people dropping cutlery or whatever it, and so I, I put that into the sound picture when i mixed the album and made it so the whole concept is of of you're in the club so if you're listening to that album you, you're sitting in the audience in the club and you can hear the band on stage and if you look at the front cover each person on that front cover is in that sound picture in exactly the same place because that's what you're hearing. So you're hearing the, the, the drums on the left, you're hearing the keys on the right, you're hearing the horns in the middle and the bass, you know, the way it's set up, it's, um, you can hear people walking past in the stereo image and it all adds to kind of the ambience. So when we did the the church recording, you get the ambience of the church and you get the, it captured something of that day. It was the hottest, um, um, day of the year we did dances at the edge of time so it was like I heard the story um, about how reggae apparently became to be uh, because it was like one of the hottest summers in Jamaica so all these ska musicians just naturally just slowed their tempo down because it was too hot to play frenetic music huh. and I think we did something similar with the way we recorded in that church that summer because that summer on the Isle of Wight broke records so it was like this really hazy summer heat warm church and um recording like that kind of really you know we went down and recorded the wave sounds of the beach and uh, you hear that on rock and end um with the church organ and the grand piano and the boat bass so yeah it's just become a, a much bigger part of um my recordings now amb- uh, ambience um That's really interesting when you can, like, like it's hard to even define it as music at some points because, or actually, I don't know if I'd say it that way, but it, it to me, it lets you appreciate, like, natural sounds as music, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, put it into context, you know, there's certain sounds which are beautiful, in, and I find the sound of crashing waves a beautiful sound, that's why I use them, you know, and... Um, the sound of people laughing or joyful, you know, if you want to create that, that's the sound of the club, the ambience of the club, you hear people, it's, it's, you know, it's just, it puts things into context, I think, and um, having the bees, you know, again, it's like another thing, it's like, it's an instrument, it's a sound effect, it's it's adding to the, it's it's a compositional tool. Yeah, for sure. So, I'm curious, with the story, did you end up writing anything down? Like, did you actually write down pieces of the story? I, um, I had a rough, we had a rough kind of narrative in our heads, but we didn't, when we tried to write it down, we're not professional writers, so <laughs> it, it came out quite naive, and I, um, I was in Edinburgh, um, doing some, um, 
mixing, I think, or mastering for one of the albums. And I, um, I gave uh, the CD of tracks to Ian Rankin because he'd come out recently on BBC as being a fan. I think he named Darkest of the Sun as one of his Desert Island discs. Um, so I went for a pint with him and to meet him and uh, you know he was really excited because he loves my music and I obviously he's one of the biggest writers um, yeah. in the world so you know uh, it was pretty pretty exciting to meet him too and I sort of <laughs> coasted you know tried to float the idea of maybe he would like to write <laughs> but um, yeah I mean he didn't but obviously he's quite busy with his own projects <laughs> but that was an, you know an idea and I sort of I had the rough idea that maybe if I could get um, someone like Keris Matthews to narrate it by reading in Rankin's <laughs> book, you know, words, that would be an incredible thing to do. Right. Well, there's still so, time. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's like trying to make a, something happen with that. Sorry, one, give me one second, please. No problem. So yeah, that was that was like uh, the idea to try and get the narrative going. Um, I had loads of ideas. Like you know, at one point I'd sort of bumped into or seen um, one of the old Doctor Who's um, huh. in my local uh, Indian restaurant, and I was gonna try and <laughs> ask him ask him if he'd be up to doing some voiceover because you know I, we originally made it as sort of like a bed so you could do a story a, a narration over top of it right that's why they're sort of quite loopy and right that makes Obviously, sense yeah we'd both uh, been listening to the point by harry nelson so you know that Ooh. was like obviously a point of reference yeah 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 so, um <laughs> so you know this like, it was a very <laughs> ambitious project i mean at one point i had ideas of like a, a fully illustrated book to go with it um yeah i was curious if the vinyl was going to come with that because I was I was reading about it and I was curious what was gonna what that was gonna the physical release because I figured it would be something interesting to do with that. So yeah, I think you know it was a bit ambitious. Obviously, we we did it on a very small budget, so we didn't really have mm -hmm. the money to pay for a whole book. Or, right, um, right. You know, a book full of illustrations or even a full story. But yeah, you know, it's you never know. <laughs> Ian Ian might come back in six months' time and say, "Yeah, let's do that book now." And right. you know, I might be able to get Sylvester McCoy to narrate it, or you know, <laughs> whoever. <laughs> right. It's just um, I just I try to sort of connect the dots as much as possible. And I know so many. I've met so many interesting people and talented people. I just always try to include them. You know, I've got uh, my whole concept with. Uh, these albums is inclusionism as much as possible and try and you know absolutely people and you know connect the dots yeah. so how did you like was it hard for you to say okay maybe it's not going to be a book or was it just a part of the process where you're like okay well maybe that's just not going to happen and you just like it was part of the process you know we get to the point where we were really sort of hope going to write the story ourselves and then uh, it was like okay let's that's not it because it's, <laughs> it's going to detract from the music. Uh, it was Ian really that said it to me when he he sent me a text message saying that his wife said it sounded beautiful, and he said to me, "Why would it need anything to anyone talking over it?" 
it works perfectly well as an ambient uh, folk album. So I thought, well, yeah, let's just go with that for the time being. <laughs> we promised the, the crowd funders, you know, right. over, over a year ago when they pledged that we were going to do this album. So we had to get on with production. And uh, as it is, it's still delayed the vinyl because it's bloody record store day. And all that <laughs> oh, I know. They, plants they just put the list out too <laughs> of all the different releases, and there's a ton this year. I know it's ridiculous. It's just clogging up the, pr- the pressing plants for everybody else. So just <laughs> for this one day a year, um, I mean, it's the record. It's the major labels reissuing classic albums, I guess, and the hope that they can sell it on records all day to to some someone that remembers it from their youth or whatever. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a bit sort of. It's a good thing and a bad thing. Record store day. <laughs> Hopefully, it means that um, I'll just have to release records at different times of the year um, <laughs> that won't get delayed. But yeah, it's always this time of year where it's uh, problematic. Yeah, it gets heavy. I can understand that. And a lot of albums are coming out right now too in March. Yeah. Do you uh, yeah. do you, do you <laughs> collect <laughs> records or shop for them usually? Like what yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, I got a pretty pretty good vinyl collection. I've oh. been collecting since I was a kid. Oh wow, so um, like thousands at this point? I did have thousands at one point and then I culled quite severely about ten years ago. Um and then it's slowly creeping back up again. But <laughs> now it's I used to collect you know, I had a lot of records sort of um a friend of mine, Jude, left like thousands of records with me, and he was a big jazz collector and library record collector. And I realized that a lot of these records I was holding on to for him, like, he wasn't ever going to pick them up, so I sort of <laughs> sold them. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had a lot of stuff I thought, well, I'm never going to listen to this ever, you know, that I, that I bought and never listened, you know, listened to once or whatever. So, you know, I don't know, I was going. It's musician life, you know. Right. It's sort of it. Uh, when I'm in the money, I'm buying loads of records. And when I'm, skin, I'm selling them to pay the rent, you know. Right. It's, uh, it's sort of. I used to make a fairly decent, you know, living buying and selling. You know, I worked for Jazz Band Records, so mm-hmm. obviously I did that whole market stall kind of trading, you know, right. rare jazz records and stuff. But yeah, not so much these days. I mostly buy the reissues of like stuff I wanted that's too expensive now right um i saw someone trying to sell hum don't know for like eight thousand dollars or something on oh my god discogs the other day yeah i was i can't remember something just went on discogs like really really expensive i can't remember what it was because i was looking at i was looking at the list of like the all-time most expensive i think the sex pistols was up there as like it was like one of their seven inches i want to say and it went for like like $15,000 or something. It's crazy, man. Right? I mean, I don't know how vinyl can be that worth that much. But it's, <laughs> you know, it's just like any other market, isn't it? It's, but I, I mean, mean, the thing is, I remember buying Nucleus Records, British Jazz Records, which, you know, they were like 25 pounds, 50 quid. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you'd spend like 60 tops. I remember like going record shopping when I was in my 20s and, you know, the old boy in the record shop would be like, oh, this one's a pricey one. It's 15 pounds. You know, that was like, that was an expensive one. I remember right. buying Soul, I think it was like Cal Chida, Soul something or other, Soul Burst. I think that was like 15 pounds and it was mint condition and he was worried that it was a lot of money, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, but nowadays, you know, these sort of Blue Note records and whatever, it's just, I mean, the Japs are p- paying crazy money for them. So, yeah. 
I know I can't really afford to keep up with that sort of. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm pretty fearful right now because I'm 18, and right. I'm in my first year of college. So like, I'm, I'm living on on the campus, so I'm not really paying rent. I'm not paying any bills. So, like, a lot of it, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and I'm like, all right, I need to save. And then, like, last month I bought like 15 records, and I'm like, oh my god, like, if. <laughs> If I just stop and like look at how much money that actually is, it's it 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 adds up really quick. Yeah, but it also it's an investment, you know. That's that is that is the the exact word that I use. I'm always every time like if my parents get on me or like my girlfriend are like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Look, it's an investment." Like, I consider it like when I have kids one day because I hope to have kids. I'm like, my kids are gonna be really thankful that their dad was broke when he was a teenager, so I could have records to listen to <laughs> that's yeah, exactly. that's my thought especially process they, especially they're good ones they hold their value you know that's the thing the good records and it's sort of yeah mm-hmm. they're just a nice thing to have own i i love it i absolutely love it i love the it, it's unlike any other medium for me to be honest and i know a lot of people are like oh it's the sound like the sound's the best thing ever and it there definitely is an advantage but i just i feel like i'm supporting the artist more you know, because, like, they definitely put time into the design on the inside, and, like, to actually hold their music in your hand, it's just it's just way different well, it's than... A work, it's a work of art, and I've always treated my albums that way. You know, they're like artifacts. They're supposed to be special. Exactly. They're not just disposable. They're, they're supposed right. to be kept and treasured. Uh, that's why the time goes into the art of them. Yeah. So, what did you... So you said you've been collecting since you were a kid. Were your parents like heavily into that as well? Like, did they have a lot of records, or did you just yeah, sort of I mean, take I'm, that? I'm, my parents are in their seventies, so they obviously like they. I grew up with their record collection as a kid and listening to. Uh, like they had Santana and mm-hmm. the Beatles and you know, um, Dylan and Emerson, um, Lake and Palmer and Dudley Moore. And, I love you know Rock, love the Stones. Yeah, a bunch of great records I grew up with. Uh, you know. Electric Lady Lamb when I was 10 years old blew my mind you know um, <laughs> right. my first record I ever bought was I think Jimi Hendrix the, uh, the BBC's like uh, released like a double LP of BBC sessions cool. yeah it was amazing I went shopping with my dad and he was like I think I was like 11 or 12 and he, he gave me 10 pounds I could spend and <laughs> uh, I wanted to get Axis Bold to Love and he said no no get this BBC <laughs> session because it was a double LP he said you get two Right. <laughs> and I got it. It was, an, it was amazing. It still is an amazing record. I still get it out and listen to it. You still have it? That's um, so cool. Yeah, I still got all my first record I ever bought. That's but, so awesome. I mean, I was collecting records all through my, my teens, early teens, because it was like loads of second-hand record shops where I grew up. Right. There was an underground market that sold vinyl, and um, uh, there was a couple of record shops. So it was always really fun just finding out, because, you know, pre-internet, I would just literally go and look at buy records by the covers and right. listen to them in the shop and take them home and then figure out, oh, I like that artist, so I try out another <laughs> album. And, you know, it was like that was a way. And then you sort of go to a library and listen to records. Whereas now with the YouTube, it's incredible how it's accelerated the crate digging. Yeah, it's weird. I can't relate to that. Like, it, every, literally everything is just like on the tips of my fingers. Like, there's nothing that I can't listen to within like five minutes if I want yeah. to. Which is really, really interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 it's, it's, a, it's a very strange because now you t- we all take it so for granted. But I can remember a time when, yeah, you know, it was there was no internet. <laughs> <laughs> So if you wanted to know something, you had to have a book to look it up in, or you had to the library, or you what? had to someone that might a book? Know. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even know what a book is. I can't read. So, with your perspective, I'm 18. What do you, what do you think of people my age, considering the internet? I'm not trying to age you or anything, but like, what do you think of social media and the rise of all that, and like the the immediacy of it all? What do you think? I, uh... I don't know, man. I mean, it's it's a tool. It's, it all depends on how it's used. I, I get frustrated with with how much time I spend on social media, but then also I get a lot of joy out of it. You know, it's like people post pictures. You know, you can do it in a positive way. There's a lot of toxicity uh, on Facebook, especially at the moment, where politics and, and and the media generally. And I've sort of haven't watched TV for many years. I've switched off from that. You know, I've just right. been. Um, just been listening to music online and that's been incredible the amount of music i found out like the most recent lp i bought was the alice coltrane oh uh, yeah yeah and i i wouldn't have found out that but if it hadn't been for somebody on um instagram posting a video of them listening to it you know so right and that's then i spent a great sort of period of my life listening to a new record and it's like these things just it's interesting how we're getting our information now rather than it just being so mainstream. There's a lot of other alternative routes mm-hmm. for knowledge. And I think that is the hope for the future, definitely. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard a lot of people say Facebook, like, specifically, which interests me because, like, like Twitter and Instagram and other things are are basically just, like, an extension of Facebook. So, mm. I don't know, it just makes you think, like, when, when the Internet's at its root, like... I don't know, Facebook is like the pinnacle of social media, at least. And so it's interesting to think that like that's the place where things go wrong or like the worst of opinions seem to come out. Well, we're living in very divided times, you know, and it seems to be, uh, you, you know, you have to either be on one side or the other. There's no middle ground anymore. I know. And um, that's not healthy for humans to constantly have to be fighting against each other and divided, you know. Hopefully music all. will bring us, bring us together. You know, that's what the arts are for, aren't they, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what it's for. I was um, in class earlier today, and we get posed this question all the time, like, like, what do we do about our problems? Like, do we stay the way they are, or do we change? And, like, I don't know. At this point, those two are, like, kind of synonymous, because, like, like it, it seems to me, like the way we are is like everybody wants to change like that just seems like the majority the like the voice of america at least is like let's change like like let's make things different and so like it's weird to picture america as some stagnant thing that like has all these ground rules and like should we change it because i don't know it feels like in itself it is changing i don't know if you have perspective on that as much but like yeah no i was just thinking about it earlier i've been coming out here for about 15 years okay cool yeah i've seen i've seen changes so you've seen some stuff yeah yeah exactly yeah i just realized you were three when i first came out to the states oh my god (laughs) yeah so yeah there's been a lot of changes man um i mean i'm noticing miami especially in the past sort of uh 10 years Wow. Yeah. 
How was um? This is a bit off, but I was thinking about it because you mentioned the age. Like, what was nine eleven like for you? Like, was it a thing? Like, yeah, I'm really curious was, to hear the perspective. It was super dark. I was um, I was looking at a uh, uh, a room for rent or a flat, uh, apartment in uh, North London, and the um. I was waiting for the estate agent, the realtor, and when he arrived, he said, oh, sorry, Flay, I sure you understand, given the circumstances, and I didn't know what he was talking about. Oh, wow. And we went, and we went into the apartment, and he knocked on the door, and the, the, the previous tenant was in there, and she was watching the TV, and that's when I saw the, the towers and the planes going in. So wow. And I was like, oh. And I just stopped, and we both did, and it was when the second, the first plane was just hit, and it was literally, I came in to watch the TV as the second plane hit the second tower. Wow. And uh, I was just like, fuck, where's this? And she said, New York, and I was right. just like devastated. Everything, yeah, everybody was, you know, we all, the whole of Britain was watching it on TV. Wow. Not just America, it was insane. I've always been curious as to how it affected, like, because I know a lot of people will come together and like, especially that, like everybody came together. And so that's, that's yeah. crazy. And it, it and I, everybody I've ever asked about it knows exactly where they were, like what was happening. And that's just, yeah, that's really well, unique. It's one of those, those things like when everyone knows where they were when JFK was shot. You know, right. It's, right. It's just one of those horrific world, world events. And, yeah. I've been listening to, um, a Radiohead concert that they were actually playing on 9-11-2001 in Germany. Uh-huh. And that, like, that's kind of what got me thinking about, like, how other countries were affected because it was, like, it's strange because it's from 2001, but the recording is, like, crystal clear. And um, Tom York is just, like, like, he mentions it a couple times, but he just said, like, the way he talks about it, like, even he seemed, like, down. He was, like, sorry, like, sorry, we're, sorry we're a bit mute tonight, like... And and he said like, do you guys know like who who here doesn't know about it? And then like he to- he like told the audience what happened, and there's just yeah, there's just this general like murmur and like oh like because some people obviously knew but others didn't, and it was just it, it it's just really really hard to listen to Be- because it's like it's it's just becoming more apparent to me that it affected like the whole world, and that's weird. It was it was really it was it's, you know it's a, it's a also at a turning point it was a big uh it was like basically you know when people talk about um you know the 60s being over and stuff well it was like when that happened it was like the good times were over basically um because i remember everything being fucking awesome all through the 80s and 90s and then when that happened it was like that was like signaling. Oh, this is the end of end of the good times now. Wow. Like, yeah, this is the end of the century. Things, and then sure enough, you know, we had a few years. But looking back, you know, when look at when all this sort of like recessions start hitting, and economic crashes and stuff. And um, yeah, I just sort of look at both countries, and you can see sort of the effect it had. That is so crazy. How, like, like two buildings. Two buildings, you know, like. Well, it's what they symbolize, isn't it? You know. That's that's just amazing. It. It's wow. I, I just, I feel like it's my job to like, do this to like piece together because I was, I was one, <laughs> I was one year one year old when it happened. So like, obviously, I have no 
concept of it. And so all I can use is other people's stories and like experiences about it. And it's just, I don't know, it's painting a bigger picture for me because things have obviously changed. Uh, like a lot, a lot of the main changes, whether it be like airport security or how people feel about guns, like Columbine and all that, like it just like a lot. The Air Force now, you know, it's like everyone's fucking treated like cattle when they go I know. the screening and everything. It's like even flying, you know, domestic, it's crazy. Yeah, it's just, and, it, and it's all because of that one day, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's, it's part, like, patriotism, I guess you'd call it, and then I feel like a lot of it's just, like, fear. Well, people that are, that are fearful are easier to control. For sure. For sure. And, I don't know, from the way you're describing it, like, it just seemed like there was this, like, invincibility kind of feeling. Like yeah, in- I mean, <laughs> I mean, obviously I was, like, you know, late, I was 18. Uh, right. In, in, sort of, uh, 2000. Oh, no, when, when was I born? I was born in 78, so I was, uh, <laughs> I was, when was I born? in 96. Um, so, yeah, I was 24, 25 when, when, when it happened. So, yeah, it was sort of, yeah, it was very strange. Yeah, was I 23? Oh, I was 23, fucking hell. I'm only, I'm only I'm 40 in a couple of weeks. Wow. I'm already losing my memory. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. My goal was not to age you. <laughs> but anyway, man, um, it's been really great talking to you. But I've got to go out and get some dinner now. So all right, uh, I hope you enjoy it. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. I look forward to listening to the podcast.